it's just such an enjoyable experience cycling through London. I mean, it's a beautiful city. And when you're on a bike, you get to take it all in. You get to go through places like Hyde Park, down the Mall, you know, even through the, the, the heart of the city. Um, it, it's just such a nice experience. On today's show, we are talking to Jamie, the founder and CEO of Dash. And yes, cycling through London is a wonderful experience, but Dash are a company who are making it affordable, easy through the use of e-bikes and sustainable. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we bring you thoughts from the industry's leaders and also a little bit of technology news. Apologies in advance, both myself and Akish are having our asses kicked by hay fever, so there's the odd sniffle or cough. We apologise, but it's it's it started in earnest a bit late. <laughs> that is very true. But also, if there's any good uh, recommendations, tweet tweet us. Like Netflix local honey, I can't get hold of it, mate. I, well, I, I've, I've heard told... that, mate. I, I yeah, no, it. apparently it's amazing. Is it? Mm. You'll you'll struggle in central London, I think. Well, maybe not, because you're in a you're in kind of Dulwich area, right? Yeah. There's bound to be some beehives in Dulwich. I should probably just knock on a few doors and some posh streets around here and just yeah. Is anyone has anyone got their own honey that they make? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The the one my brother-in-law told me about, which did actually help yesterday, happened the other day, and I'm really annoyed. Was putting Vaseline around my nostrils. Ooh. Really. Yeah, it helped. Wow. Mine, mine's just um, yeah, sneezing, itching my eyes until they're about to fall out. Um, but yeah, hey, first world problems, eh? First world. It's problems. pretty awful. Thinking of first world problems, um, have you seen that the adverts for um, the new series of Love Island, which starts this month on television? Apparently, they're reporting that they had, uh, they're boasting about the fact that more people have applied to Love Island this year than ever before. It's like no shit. Everyone wants a holiday. I'll apply. If you can get me, if you can get me safely to Spain for a couple of weeks, I'll do it. Oh man, that is crazy. I, I, I didn't know that, but yeah, I'm I'm not surprised. And also, so many single people have probably been in lockdown alone by themselves that they've probably just gone right. It was probably gonna be the most rampant series ever. Yeah. Because um, everyone's been locked away for a whole year. It's gonna be very odd for them. You're locked away in isolation. Now you've got to share a room with like 14 other people or whatnot. It's yeah. going to be like... It's going to be calm. <laughs> it's going to be calm. When someone enters and they're going to kind of keep their distance with the masks on, they'll be like, well, hang on a minute. Back off. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? Oh, who knows? It's all, it's all crazy. I don't even know. I've stopped questioning how things work now and just rolling with it. That, that, that's my new kind of thing. What a little segue that you, you've stumbled in there uh, with roll, rolling with it. Because today's interview is all about e-bikes and how they can revolutionise the commuting trip, um, primarily for Londoners initially, but as you will hear from this interview, perhaps not just Londoners soon. So we'll hand over to Jamie of Dash, and then we'll come back with some commentary afterwards. So today I'm chatting to Jamie. Jamie, you're the founder and CEO of Dash. Uh, For anyone who's not familiar with Dash, before we dive into anything else, what is Dash? Dash is an electric bike uh, subscription company. So it's the idea of paying a monthly fee to use a bike and having all of the hassles, the headaches taken care of for you. Um, so you pay one monthly fee, you get a great e-bike from the likes of Cowboy, Brompton, Van Moof, um, a couple of others. You get your insurance, a helmet, 
repairs and maintenance. Um, and we also carbon offset every one of our bikes by 400%. So not only are you taking, you know, mitigating CO2 by using an e-bike over a car, a bus, but we're actively taking it CO2 out of the atmosphere on your behalf as well. Okay, so fairly straightforward on the surface. Whereabouts are you based, first of all? Yeah, sure. Uh, we've, we've got uh, an office in London, so I'm, I'm currently sat in our, our office just outside Notting Hill. And then we've got a warehouse in Reading, um, and that allows us to operate pretty comfortably within the M25. So that's our, our current sort of service area, um, looking, looking to expand it um, over the course of the next 12 months to, to cover some of the other cities in the, the south of England, and then hopefully uh, push up north from there. How far is your commute into Notting Hill? So it's, uh, it's about nine miles, um, and it used to take me an hour and a half on public transport, um, but I can do it in 22 minutes on an e-bike. Um, That's not bad. I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll be really honest. I'm ignorant. Yeah. I, have a, I have an old-style push bike. I don't sure. have an e-bike. I don't even know how fast e-bikes go. Yeah. So the, the law on e-bikes is that they're allowed to assist you up to 15 and a half miles an hour, which everyone automatically assumes is the top speed. Um, but obviously, it, it, that is, well, not obviously, but that's not the top speed. That's just how far the motor will, will sort of help you up to. So mm -hmm. certainly what I find when I'm riding is great. Motor gets me up to 15 and a half miles an hour, but my legs then just take me up to, you know, whatever the speed limit is really. Um, so I'm regularly going 24 miles an hour on my e-bike, you know, you know, where, where, where it's not a 20 mile an hour limit. Um, so that, that allows me to yeah, do that journey pretty quick. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I, I moved out of London during the pandemic, but I spent 13 years living around zone one, zone two, and zone four. And yeah, uh, yeah I, the one thing that I still do, even now, well, I say even now, I haven't done the last 14 months, but I've always tried when I've been at work to walk from meeting to mm -hmm. meeting. I, you know, the office is in the city. You have a, a meeting in midtown as i think they try and call it but you know around that kind of <laughs> yeah. in between the city and the west end and you kind of go right I'll, I'll walk and it's actually really nice being outside but i guess most people spend half their lives on the tube and never really see london and maybe this this is an opportunity to go you know what not only is it quick but you get the benefits of actually seeing a bit of the city that you live in absolutely absolutely and um the other, other thing obviously to point out is if you're talking in that context with an e-bike you don't have to, you know, really push, push your legs and, you know, exercise and sweat, uh, sweat being the, the key consideration there. So you can hop on your e-bike, cycle over to a meeting and arrive pretty, you know, fresh. In fact, you've, you've probably had air conditioning on the way, um, just by the, the wind sort of blowing through you. Um, so certainly far better than, um, some of the tube rides I used to experience. So look, the, the company was founded in 2019, right? And uh, yeah. you at the time were an economist at PwC um, and you left that job to, to do this full time. What, what was the catalyst for you going, sorry, oh, I'm, I'm jumping into the world of being an entrepreneur, of being a startup founder? Yeah, um, I, I think it was a little bit of sod it. Um, you hit the nail on the head there. I, I think it... It's funny, right? People, I've asked this question so many times, but it's such a gradual process. And then there's literally something, it is the straw that breaks the camel's back. So I was at PwC for the first six months of Dash's existence, trying to sort of, you know, get it off the ground and get it up and running. 
really playing around with the idea and talking to lots of people. And there just came this moment when I, I was, I had a lot of stuff on at PwC and I wasn't doing it particularly well. And it dawned on me that, hold on, I'm not actually doing either of these things particularly well. And as soon as that, uh, that sort of thought crystallized in my head, I, I realized, well, look, I can't, I can't continue to do both and do them badly because it's going to get me nowhere. I know which one I prefer to put, put my energy and effort and passion into. And it, it was obviously Dash. Um, so as soon as that, that moment of clarity came, the decision was actually very, very easy. Um, and luckily, I've not looked back since. And look, it's probably um, quite a, a worthwhile thing to ask you. Was it the beginning of 2019 or the end of 2019? That I moved into Dash or? The, yeah, that you went full time with Dash. So it was, it was middle of 2019. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I have to say the business has changed shape quite a bit since then. Um, as you can imagine, the pandemic hit us, well, not as you can imagine, but the pandemic hit us pretty hard, right? Yeah. We were doing something a slightly different to what we are now. And the pandemic, we thought we'd, we thought we were, we'd made it, if I'm honest, David. We had, we landed a huge contract with um, a big company and bless us being a startup, we thought, let's just make our contract super flexible. Let's just get in the door. And once they get in, we get in the door, people will love us. So we had, um, we had a 30-day termination clause at any point. Pandemic hit this particular business and they were one of the first to be hit given their industry which was shipping, um, which meant that literally overnight they pushed that termination button and we lost it um, and had to basically start from scratch again. So that, that was a bit of a rude awakening. Is there an argument though, that whilst, whilst obviously the pandemic would have caused you tribulations, it was at an early start of your story and therefore perhaps pivoting and making those changes where necessary, you know, you were still quite a flexible organization and hopefully no, not, not too many overheads, et cetera. So yeah. there was the, the capacity to do that. But actually now in the world that we find ourselves in, I, I don't know whether I want to get on a tube full of people. Yeah. And the option of, if I would take a bit slower getting somewhere, and, and I know you've actually said that your commuter is quicker on an e-bike, but say I didn't have the option of an e-bike, I think I'd rather walk than get on the tube or the bus. So yeah. if there's a transport option that allows me not to be in close, close proximity in an area where there's not a lot of ventilation, that's yeah. got to be a positive, right? Absolutely, and you're not alone. So I think there's a recent study that showed four and five people will be actively avoiding public transport going forward. Um, so, you, so you're, you're completely, completely on the money there. And I think going back to your sort of original point, it sounds wrong to say, but the, the pandemic has been the best thing that could have ever happened to us as a business because it forced us to really look hard at what we do. What value are we delivering to, to people? And how do we deliver that value in the way that um, one can scale the most, but two has the longest, longest lasting impact. Um, and, and because of that challenge and having to really look hard at ourselves, we, we came up with our existing business that it is now. Um, so it, yeah, it's been, it's been incredibly positive for us in the long run. Um, obviously some, as you say, some very, some very serious pain in the short term. Um, but luckily that's all behind us now.
yeah, tribulations might not be quite the right word. But and the one yeah, thing no, I don't yeah. think anyone, I, I don't think anyone should be. Um, I don't know. I don't think anyone should be shy about the fact that there are opportunities to come out of the pandemic. It's obviously terrible on mm. a number of different uh, uh, levels. You know, um, not least the, the, the kind of the human impact. But at the same time, if we're going to recover, then people have to spot the opportunities and, and, yeah. and make progress on them, right? Um, okay, so how does the model work? Because e-bikes are quite expensive. Um, I, I mean, my wife was looking at an e-bike because we now live in rural Kent and we want to get right. to the pub. And cycling to the pub is quite yeah. nice. Sometimes you can get, even that, you can get there and go, oh, Christ, I'm, I'm quite quite tired and warm now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's a la the landlord's dream to hear. That is probably, you know, serving two pints instead of one. <laughs> just uh, you just need to be careful on the way home. Um, so, how does the model work? Um, so, we are a cycle to work scheme. Is the first point. And yep. if you're not familiar with that term, it's basically um, an employee benefit that you get through your your company. Your employer signs up to us, and they then offer you our. Your employer then offers you access to our platform where you can choose our e-bikes. Um, and the, the long and the short of it is that you get to pay for the cost of our subscriptions out of your pre-tax salary. So you're saving anywhere between 32% and 47% as if you, as opposed to if you came to us direct. Um, what then happens, your employer in that process can make a number of choices around do they want to subsidize your, the cost of your subscriptions? And what we're finding is that actually most employers are very, very happy to contribute um, a little bit, but most, a lot of them actually contribute quite significantly. So most of our employers hover around the £15 a month or 15% mark in terms of subsidisation, but we've got some that go all the way up to 80%. What that means for you as the, the sort of punter is that um, at that average 15%, £15 a month, you're looking at a monthly cost of an e-bike of around 40 to £30 a month. And you get your helmet, repairs and maintenance, insurance, um, carbon offsetting. We'll even brand the bike in some cases, um, so you can have quite a cool livery on it. Um, and you pay that monthly fee for as long as you want to have the bike. And as soon as you don't want it, you say, that, that, that's enough, thank you very much. And we come and get it off you. So what, what are the challenges for you around a business of, of the fact that, you know, most companies moving towards a hybrid model, I, I, you know... Are people going to look at this and go, is it worth it for one or two days a week? I can understand that they'd go, yeah, five days a week, that makes sense. Yeah. But is, is that going to prove a bit of a challenge? I think I think it probably will prove a challenge. And, and I think the reason it's going to prove a challenge is precisely why you're asking it is because there is that education piece to get over to people that actually, yes, this is absolutely relevant. It, it's probably more relevant in a hybrid environment than it is in a full-time environment. Um, the reason being is that when you had your, your five day a week commute to the office, travel cards and things like that made economic sense. You know, you were, you were benefiting from buying a weekly travel card or a monthly travel card because you were going so regularly. If you go to a, a flex model where you're in two or three days a week, the economics of travel cards are broken. So you're going to be paying for single journeys there and back. So your average commute per day is, you know, for most people in London, it's going to be six or seven pounds. Um, on the days that you commute in. Um, well, six or seven pounds a day times three times, you know, four and a half. You're quickly up to sort of, I don't know what the math on that is. <laughs> you, um, 
but you're quickly up to the sort of 60, 70, 80 pounds. And that's just for your, your commute into the office, right? Well, one of our bikes is sort of, as I just said, most people pay about 30 or 40 pounds a month, but you've got that e-bike, not only for your commute in and out of the office, but you can use it for leisure. You can go down to the pub on it. You can just go for a, a morning cycle ride to clear your head. Um, so it, it, it's, it's so much better value um, than the alternative. Not, not to mention the health benefits you get from it and the fact that it's better for the planet. So you, you get that real feel good, not only for the, from the endorphins, but, um, but also for, you know, being, being a more responsible and, um, sustainable, you know, citizen. And, uh, you know, is there, um, is there a group of you organizations like you, um, I suppose e-scooters and all those other kind of, you know, alternative transport models coming together to try and put pressure on cities? Because my experience has always been London wouldn't be the easiest place to cycle around. And I suppose, you know, you mentioned at the top that you 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 would consider kind of going and and, and looking at expanding into the north. And I could imagine yeah. a place like Manchester, for example, being perfect, um, a, a brilliant place yeah. to uh, and market to tackle. Um, it's a su surprisingly large city. I'm from Newcastle, and I always thought New right. cities were a bit like Newcastle. It's tiny. You can walk across okay. Newcastle in about 10 minutes. But Manchester's big, yeah. and it has terrible transport. Right. Yeah, so I, I agree. Yeah, I'm Manchester dying to get there, too, if, I, if I'm completely honest with you. Um, with the, um, in, so in London, in terms of us lobbying, there are, there are lot, you're right, there are lots of organisations who are in the sort of micro-mobility space, as um, inverted commas, as, as people have sort of categorised it. Um, and there are some very big fish in the space, very well-funded players who are doing enormous amounts of lobbying. Um, so we, we actively, you know, try and sort of top up what they're and, and piggyback onto what they're saying. Um, but we sort of leave them to do the hard lift, the heavy lifting on, on the lobbying, if I'm honest, just because they've got the, the budget. In, in terms of cycling in the city there and in London, there has never been a better time to cycle in London. The, the, the roads are clearer, the, the cycle lanes are more prevalent and better than ever before. Um, you know, thank God the, the weather even has started to improve. Um, so they're, they're really, there is no excuse not to cycle. And you know, I know lots of people are fearful of being sideswiped by a bus or anything like that. But I think if the reality is now that bus drivers are, are so well-trained and you know, so conscious of cyclists, and as long as you're sensible and don't go up the sides of them where you shouldn't, um, you know, you're, you're you're pretty safe now to be on a bike in in the centre of London. And it's it's as you were saying at the beginning of this conversation, it's just such an enjoyable experience cycling through London. I mean, it's a beautiful city, and when you're on a bike, you get to take it all in. You get to go through places like Hyde Park, down the Mall, you know, even through the the, the heart of the city. Um, it's just such a nice experience. So look, you, you mentioned that you're offsetting your carbon footprint by 400%. Um, mm. Sustainability is, is, is on the agenda for so many organizations, tech organizations, et cetera. Um, how are you doing that? How are you, how are you getting to that 400% number? How we calculate it or how we actually go and take it out of the atmosphere or both? Let's go with both. Okay, let's go with both. So how we calculate it is we work with our suppliers, uh, the, the bike manufacturers, and we understand from them what the CO2 impact of making a, an e-bike is from them. Um, we then add on a little bit of extra for shipping, packaging, et cetera, et cetera. But um, these are all things that you can 
you can quite easily approximate. You're never going to get to a perfect number, but you can quite easily approximate. We then add a little bit of buffer just to be on the safe side. Um, and then we times it by four to get to the 400%. So that gives us for every e-bike um, a value of CO2 that we need to, we want our commitment requires us to sort of take out of the atmosphere. How we then go and do that is we've got two fantastic partners. One's a company called South Pole, who are one of the leading CO2 offsetting platforms in the world. Um, and the other one's a slightly more interesting one, if, I, if my own opinion, but they're a charity called the Gorilla Organization who work in Central Africa and as, as the name would suggest, look after, to look after the, the conservation of the gorillas. So with South Pole, you basically have a menu of various projects in the UK and abroad, um, which can be things like planting trees, funding the wind turbines, hydroelectric dams, you know, upgrading people's stoves from burning wood to burning natural gas, which is a far more efficient um, heating me you know, method. So you can just choose you know, which fund projects you fund and you'll fund it to a, a certain price that equates to you know, taking out the amount of CO2 that you want to with that project. On the, the gorillas side, which is my personal passion project, um, aside from that, is um, we're funding them to basically replant the gorillas' habitat, which has been, you know, over the years, inched away by farming, by people cutting down trees for firewood, all these things. So we're helping fund them to, to you know, increase the habitat of the gorillas, um, try and, you know, introduce them to, to different methods of farming, which is more intensive, or, you know, different cooking stoves, solar panels, so all these different things that mean that those trees are allowed to grow, they capture the CO2, um, and as a bonus, which is, I think, a really you know, lovely bonus, it means the gorilla population, through their hard work, is, is steadily on the increase. So, look, just as a last quick question then, if someone is listening to this and they go, yeah, yeah this is a company that we think would be great to offer to our employees and we like the ethos and we think, we think they're onto something, um, how would they get their company involved in the platform? Sure. So um, the best thing they can do is go to our website, www.rides.com. And depending on whether they're an employer or an employee or, or to be honest, irrelevant, just get in touch with us. And one of the team or indeed myself would love to have a conversation with you about how we sign your company up. Your company can sign up for free. It doesn't cost them anything to sign up. And indeed, they can operate the scheme for free um, if that's their choice. Um, so there really is no excuse not to get on an e-bike this summer. Wonderful. Well, look, Jamie, thank you very much for your time and uh, good Thanks luck. I hope it me. continues to go well as we do hopefully slowly emerge out of the situation we found ourselves in. Brilliant. Cheers, David. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that really interested me in this was pointing out that the economic model of commuting on trains is broken. Of course it's broken. I hadn't really thought about it. Prior to the pandemic, season ticket, obviously. Now, if you're going in two or three days a week, it becomes economically... If you travel three days a week, I think it's no cheaper than having to buy a season ticket for five days. So all of a sudden, there's going to be people in this little bit of a grey area where financially they're burdened still, despite not necessarily being in the office for five days a week. 
Yeah, and and I think it's just going to put people into all kinds of, um, I guess, weird scenarios, right? Where where they're going to go, oh right, you know, what what what's what's the best way for me to get into work? Do I take the train? Do I walk? Do I take a bus? You know, what, what sort of stuff do I do? Um, and that model is going to be broken. And with people like Dash, to be honest, providing that sort of outreach outreach or that kind of service um i think it's great man especially with the weather that we've had in the last week or so you don't want to be stuck in a tube or an underground get yourself you know one of those subscriptions and get yourself going yeah that's true Mm. i would obviously counter with the fact that that a good four or five months of the year it's pretty dire to be cycling to work every day Mm. it's dark and it's wet and it's cold however totally so well, I suppose I suppose you could counter argue and go, well, actually, with flexible working hours, you can leave a little bit later mm. when it's not dark, um, and it's still better for you, of course. I mean, this this is the other big thing. Like when he mentions about the fact that you know your air conditioning on the way, uh, the you know when you're cycling along, and you've got the wind blowing past you. I, when when he said that, in my head, the cynic in me went, yeah, the air the air pollution in London is looking awful. If you're stuck behind car exhausts and, and, mm. and bus fumes, that's not great. But it ignores the fact, of course, that we have no idea how bad the air quality is on the tube. Yeah. And there have been one or two studies, but it's, it's, I don't think it's ever really been measured, but one or two suggestions that the air in the tube is horrendous for you. Yeah, well, it must be. I mean, if you, if you some of that northern and central line, I mean, how far down are you? Um, you know, in, in the ground and you're just breathing it all in along with hundreds and thousands of other people. But one other point as well that I thought personally was the whole, you know, he talked about the, I, I guess, the the model of commuting, but more about the model of keeping a car in London, if we use London as an example. I mean, so, you know, you've got like the ULES um, kind of borders, which obviously the carbon emissions and cleaner engine cars are going to be, you know, you're going to be paying a lot more. They're going further out, almost till the end of the M25. Um, then you've got your congestion charge. But then also now, in certain parts, as, as you come out of London, you've got to pay for your parking. Um, you know, there, there's the cost of, obviously, the car itself, the maintenance, the upkeep, the petrol. It's it's just getting more and more out of hand, right, if you want to keep a car. So a lot of other people, and and, and a lot of people that I know, they, they would just happily have a bike. Um and an electric bike is a great way to, you know, sometimes just have a bit more of a, I guess, a cruise rather than a, a workout or a, you know, a bit of a intense exercise kind of routine, right? So, um, and there's loads of cycling lanes, I think, um, going up around London as well. So that's great, I think, 100%. Yeah, I have to admit, I've always been a little bit kind of, the idea of cycling in London has always scared me a little bit. But the few yeah. times I've jumped on a Boris bike, it's been all right. Yeah. I mean, I've only jumped on like Boris bikes and stuff as a social. I've never used it as a commute. So I don't know if, if that would be different. Do you know what I mean? Like I've only ridden it around um, Regent's Park and Hyde Park and, you know, Oxford Circus and, and those sorts of places just with a group of mates on a Saturday afternoon. But I've never really done the... 8 o'clock, leave home, get to work for that time, you know, that sort of thing. So, and it is dangerous because I do drive and I have seen some horrible 
kind of incidents um, happening with cyclists and buses and cars. all the more reason though not to have so many cars and buses in central London. And I know that will annoy some people. I know it will annoy some people. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think there's a place in 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 the future. What? Yeah. Why do you like the vast majority of traffic going into the centre of town doesn't need to go into the centre of town. Yeah, except that there might be some like traffic for, for things like taxis and whatever else, but mm. they should pedestrianise. Pedestrianise are the large parts of the West End. Well, where where, where are the rich millionaires going to show off their Lamborghinis and their McLarens and their Porsches? Give a shit. Yeah, exactly. Or off back to Russia with them. But, <laughs> or Dubai. <laughs> the only ones who could afford them. China, Russia, <laughs> the Middle East. Oh, mate. Yeah, but but, that, but that's the thing. Like You go into London. I, I was there on Saturday night in, in, you know, went for dinner and you you just see like the amount of cars when 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 I heard the interview earlier on this morning I was I was thinking about cars that I see in central London if you think about the zones I, I mean all you see is supercars and Rolls Royces and all these sorts of places I mean I, I literally saw Rolls Royce picking someone up from like a mile down the road that you could see and it stopped outside the restaurant that I was in and I'm like what are you doing you don't need a car for that it's, it's just like, pretentious it's just wanky yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, so just, selfish in every yeah. sense, in every respect. Yeah, it's just one of those ones, isn't it? Really, where you just think, "What are you doing, man?" Um, well, yeah, like I said, um, people like me and you, we're probably in the minority, uh, where we believe that all of Central London should probably be pedestrianised, and only vehicles that need to be there should be there. Everyone else, you know, keep keep your Lamborghinis somewhere else. Do something else. I mean, um, I, I love the fact as well that this is, you know. On, on the surface, there's not a lot of tech here, but of course there is when once you then get down to the platform and having it on a subscription-based model, mm. having them offset, you know, the sustainability angle, having them kind of, you know, offset by 400%, being able to opt in cheaply and opt out is the kind of flexible living that you need in London these days. Mm. You know, a lot of people who live in central London, for example, rent. They don't know exactly where they're going to be or what their transport commitments are going to be in three or four years' time. Yep. Maybe even actually six six or 12 months' time. So the ability to say, I need this for for this period of time and it's going to cost me 30, 40 quid a month maybe, but then I can turn it back off is is a thoroughly appropriate um, tech-enabled offering for, for the world in which most young people in the city live, live and, 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 and work in. No, 100%. And, but also on that tech factor um, or the point that you just made, the fact that they said, you know, when they started, they were, uh, you know, that startup kind of mentality. And it was more, all their contracts are very much kind of made to please customers, right, that they had. And and then when they got their kind of like groundbreaking um, contract with the shipping company, um, they were like, well, this is it. This is our kind of rags to riches story. This is our, you know, kind of, let's go. We're all going to make it into Forbes. We're all going to be talked about tech weekly and all be on Google and all that sort of stuff. And then suddenly the pandemic happens and then their biggest contract pulls out. And then they're like, oh shit, now what do we do? Um, and it's all about that kind of, you know, we've talked about it on here, right? Where a lot of organizations, a lot of startups, especially within the pandemic will be, um, you know, having a rebirth or, or having their first birth. Um, but I think the fact that they've kept on going and that kind of model um, which can make them a lot more money and especially the organisations that they kind of partner up with. So I think they said Brompton bikes are available as well, which from my 
small understanding of cycling i think that that's quite like a luxury or a premium um type bike right um but yeah you know it's, I, I think it's just great i think it's good it gives the cycle to work scheme a kick on the arse doesn't it yeah um, let's, let's get it in at nash come on yeah exactly let's get come on Akish. the nash dash we could call it the nash dash the nash dash oh, you're onto something right, right. let's right. take a break when we come back, uh, just a very quick discussion about Depop. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. So Depop, um, a company that is featured um, on this podcast many moons ago, and I interviewed uh, one of the one of the senior leaders at Depop out at Web Summit in Lisbon, probably about two, three years ago now. Anyway, they have been bought uh, by, is it Etsy or Etsy? I can never, I'm never entirely sure how to pronounce it, but Brooklyn-based Etsy for $1.6 billion, 1.1 billion pounds. It came just days after the Oxford-based Wave Optics um, was bought by uh, Santa Monica headquarter owner of Snapchat for 500 million. Um, and the article, basically, that, that we're reading from here, it's in the Guardian, it's pointing out that whilst it's not a strategic importance to the UK economy, maybe in the way that the likes of ARM, um, uh, imagination technologies, etc., might be, um, it, it's it's a fact that, again, it's, it's a sign that we don't have the same pockets that the US does when it comes to technology. And losing Depop to US ownership makes the British tech sector look at it second hand. That's 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 the, the thinking of the article. Um, yeah, so one of the quotes, technology is enabling growth in the market as parents sell baby clothes by Facebook and young people uh, trade sort after tech trainers on their own Instagram shops. It speaks to this edgy, cool, Gen Z-centric kind of version of, of resale and uh, retail. Um, and it, it is a shame to lose it. I think I think to say that it makes the British tech sector look secondhand might be a little bit strong. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably some some American and fe- feeling patriotic, right? Right in that maybe. Um, but I mean, I think they need to. Yeah, I think they need to kind of calm down because, if anything, it shows that you know we we can create products, platforms, services. I personally think that that are highly you know kind of valued and, and wanted, right? Um, and then <clears throat> away from that, there's other great things that you know um, the British do. And whenever I get into that, uh, well, whenever I get into that argument, I just say Dyson, and then there's not really much of a much of a comeback, um, you know. But I think whilst we need to to kind of you know relax a little bit in terms of maybe not saying that the, the British are second hand, I think um, I think we do some great stuff, and I think uh, I think I think De Pop is a is a great example of that in my opinion. The the article does make the concession that whilst the Brits can't compete financially with the US, 
the, the brand may well now struggle to hold on to its edgy, cool customer. And they are therefore allowing it to remain relatively independent based in London because being based in London is what has been central to its success and its, its huge growth and its audience. And that if they were to move it away and it was to become too commercialised, then companies like Vinted might come up snapping at the, at the heels. And it points it points to the fact that London is a great place to be an entrepreneur where you can really, you know, have your finger on, on the pulse of, of what where the market's going, what it wants, and create cool um, businesses that tap into what, what is relevant now. Yeah, 100%. But also, I think that where, where we're kind of thinking about that hipster and edgy type of depop customer or customers or, you know, people that are on there, I think that's a UK thing where, you know, someone that, that kind of looks to sell their kind of items and, and uses that platform. But you never know that, you know, with the, the kind of, um, I guess, with the, the influx of the states and, and obviously, you know, being kind of acquired now and being part of a bigger kind of machine, it might touch other, you know, other geographies, other demographics. Um and it could be used for other things, I think, as well. You know, there could be some kind of product development done to it. And lo and behold, we, we get something which which will be great. Um, so, yeah, 100%. Like, I think we do things great, but you never know. There might be some more potential to that, which um, which we'll wait and find out, I guess. Absolutely. Um, I think given our hate, people, we'll leave it there, Akish. Um, we've had 15, 15 minutes of us sniffing away, so... <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you uh, to Dash for being our guest on today's episode. And, of course, we'll be back on Friday.